Hello and welcome to the Shiny New Object Podcast. This is a podcast about the future of marketing. Every week I have the pleasure and the privilege of interviewing someone talented, special, inspiring, unique, different, or maybe from the other side of the world. And this week is no different. I am on a call with Sean Roy, who is a global lead consumer insight of food and nutrition at GSK. Sean, for those of you who aren't familiar with who you are and what you do, please can you give the listeners an overview of your background and the job you do? Thank you, Tom. I think first of all, thanks a ton for calling me in this podcast and thanks for the short introduction. To talk about myself, I have been a avid consumer insights professional for the last 17 years. And I've worked mostly in the Asian markets, uh, which covers South Asia and Southeast Asia. And uh, to tell, tell you about myself, I have been a very hands-on person. Like, you know, one of the best things which I acquired from my career is going and talking to the consumers on ground, in their homes, in their real settings. Okay, so, um, yeah, so that's about me. And I'm really excited to be a part of this podcast today. And of course, we were introduced by the team at the Future Conference. If you go to future.today, that's F-U-T-R dot today. So Sean, what we're going to do is going to ask you a couple of questions just so the audience can get to know you a bit better. So first up, what do you see as being the best investment in your time, energy or money in your career to this point? Yeah, actually, I perhaps just spoke about it a while back, you know, I think the best investment has been the consumers. I think best investment, you know, whatever today, uh, you know, my career is at what point, whatever it is, is because I've been able to go and live the lives of the consumers, you know, so I would call myself a consumer empath you know, uh, who really kind of uh, tries to go deep and uh, tries to understand the context of the consumers. That is one thing really which is keeping me going. So where did this practice of becoming a consumer empath start? What, how did you realize that was such an important thing to do? So I started as a quantitative researcher, uh, you know, when I started my career and then, you know, there was an inner calling that, you know, I just can't be sitting inside the office and know about consumers. And I shifted to qualitative research and that's how it started, you know, the whole journey of, uh, and by the virtue of working in the Indian market, uh, you know, at the formative years of my career, I could really go and, uh, you know, be a part of field work processes which involved different kind of consumers. The spectrum was very large. You know, it, it kind of uh, involved people from the lower strata of the society to the highest uh, strata of the society. So obviously there was a kind of, uh, you know, huge change of mindset, you know, and it, it uh, made me very, um, you know, uh, broad, you know, it made me more accepting, you know, it increased my empathy levels, uh, you know, but I could really understand the perspective of different classes, you know, so uh, that was a um, really good thing which happened to my career. So can you share a story of when the penny dropped, when you re- realized the, the power of putting yourself in the 
in the shoes of a consumer? Was there a, a particular moment in time or a particular story that you can remember that you could share with the audience where you thought, right, this is so important? Uh, yes, right. So, you know, I can tell you the uh, project uh, which I did, uh, which changed my life, which changed the way, the lens I see life. You know, I, I was a very urban boy coming from a very urban setting and I had certain ways of my life. Uh, there was this project from uh, ITC. Uh, that's a very big firm back in India. And uh, it's uh, like BAT uh, in the world. They're a the largest tobacco uh, you know, company in India, and they obviously were feeling a lot of pressure, and they wanted to get into FMCG. So there, uh, there was this project called e Chopal where um, I had to go uh, to the deep rural India, you know, where I never thought in my life I'll be going. You know, we had to kind of go to the interiors, the heartlands, you know, of India, where people don't have electricity, uh, people don't have, uh, you know, proper food, uh, you know, people's houses break during the rains. You know, I had to go to those kind of places, you know, and I, I never thought those exist, you know, and I had to go and interact with people. I I went for a project with a purpose, you know, but the whole thing was getting intertwined with their lives, you know, with their sorrows, with the anxieties. I think that kind of really, um, you know, made me a person uh, uh, with a broader perspective of life, you know. And what did you see what, when you went to these parts of the, the heartland of India, as you say, what, what did you see that changed the way that you approached your job and that? projects in particular? So, you know, it was uh, one thing I uh, learned that, you know, uh, you have to be authentic uh, and you just can't be analyzing something uh, out of context. Uh, you have to be authentic. You have to uh, feel the life of those people uh, to come up with some conclusions, even on the marketing grounds you know, that has to be very well weaved uh, into their anxiety points. You know, it's uh, about making their lives better and it's about empowering the consumers. And, uh, you know, and that's important uh, because uh, a lot of uh, companies, uh, they uh, produce products, uh, they create brands, but they sometimes uh, forget, you know, to how to empower the consumers. It's just not about those instant gratifications or those promos or those discounts. It's about empowering the society at large, you know, uh, making the people more bold and stand for themselves, you know. So that's what I learned. So as well as understanding the value of qualitative research and, and, and meeting the consumer and understanding from an empathetic point of view how you can empower them and, and make their lives better. What other new beliefs or behaviours in the last five years have changed and improved your work life? Um, I think, uh, you know, uh, one of the most important uh, thing is humility. Uh, I think that uh, definitely has to be there. Uh, there's something called a level five leadership, uh, which talks about how to utilize and use your humility um, you know, in advantage of a better corporate uh, world and organization. I think uh, that's very important. Uh, that's one thing I've learned uh, in this last uh, five years. Uh, it's about getting the work done. 
uh, it's not about your uh, ego uh, it's not always about your personal motivation it's about getting that work done which you have in your hand it's about uh, you know taking each day as it comes and it's about being uh, as simple as being sincere responsible for what you're doing i think that's something you know it's simplicity i think you know being simple getting simple um uncomplicating things uh you know being real i think these are the kind of things uh, you know i've really learned over the uh, few years you know that's uh, helping me so i i think that's a, a beautiful point the idea of being simple and being sincere and being real and at a high level i i agree with that but how on a how on a daily basis do you ensure that you are working in that way do you have any tools or or tricks or is there a process that you go through i'm curious to know how the uh, the level 5 executive delivers that um, on a day-to-day -day basis i think uh, it's simple no rocket science uh, it's about uh, keeping the communication channels open um it's about having um you know a healthy communication uh, uh between your uh, different levels uh, you know i also service a lot of internal stakeholders and i treat them as my clients my colleagues uh, you know whom for whom i'm delivering stuff helping them i obviously treat them like clients and i try to get into their shoes and try to understand their issues from their point of view you know so rather than just resisting and coming and telling you no know, they might come up sometimes it might look like they're coming up with some irrational request you know but at the same time you know you have to really understand where the person is coming from and you know uh, how best you can help him uh, rather than you know coming across as unhelpful or making the person feel that you know oh you're just speaking nonsense you know so it's not that it's about really understanding put your shoes uh, understanding his context and telling him that what is possible what is not possible what is the best way you can help him uh, the same thing happens when you work with your agencies right so so st stakeholders are up there but you know when you're working with the agencies uh, stick and carrot method works you know being rude to them telling that i i need this by this time all that is fine but i think uh, encouragement uh, again i'll come back to the same thing of being authentic and uh, making them also feel that you're you're helping them in the process you know there are there are a lot of a uh, lot of timeline pressures and a lot of ways i think it's about making them feel that you're there with them in the journey and uh, obviously all this happens if you're well planned i think uh, as you go up and become a leader i think planning is absolutely important um and along with that you know a very strong steadfast and easy transparent communication that's what works for me um okay so i i love your i love your attitude and the way that you approach relationships and you seem incredibly calm uh, and trying to always see it from the other person's perspective which i think is wonderful but you must suffer from overwhelm you say you've got inter you've got uh, internal stakeholders you've got agency partners so how do you deal with overwhelm how do you deal with the workload when it gets too much for you to do it well so at points you have to learn how to say no i think that's a part of leadership and i think uh, you have to really again uh, engage in a dialogue 
with a personal name, express your difficulties, what you're um, facing, it becomes easier when you kind of, uh, you know, form a relationship with the other party. And when you're always trying to help the party, when you're trying to do things, when you're authentic, if you're having any issues or you're having any problems, it becomes a lot easier to approach that person and express. But uh, there are always exceptions, right? You know, so, uh, you know, we are not working in the ideal world. But uh, what I feel, uh, you know, healthy dialogue, uh, not too many back and forth of emails, uh, not too many CCs, you know, it's about just reaching <laughs> out the person. It's about uh, just having a dialogue with the person. And it's about increasing the trust. I think that really helps. But I, what I'm interested in as well is like how, what goes on in your head? How do you, how do you deal with like volume? How do you deal with overwhelm? I, I think it's fantastic the way that, you know, not, not too many CCs, having conversations, not emails, you know, I think uh, I certainly suffer from that. But I, how do you, what is your kind of inner game for making sure that your head is always in, in a good space? See, I have also made my mistakes in earlier part of my career. Everybody does, you know, in dealing with people. And you generally learn from your mistakes. I think one of the most important thing is uh, reflecting back and seeing where you went wrong and where things didn't work out for you. And in my case, most of the times I felt, uh, you know, if I would have reacted in a different way, uh, things would have been much better. And so I think number one, my past learnings, I think I definitely try to apply that. Secondly, uh, you know, um, when you're alone, when you're in your personal space, uh, you have to um, develop uh, a culture of, uh, you know, where you can meditate, uh, where you can keep your mind calm. Uh, you know, it's about reading good books. Uh, it's about surrounding yourself with a bit of positivity. And a lot depends on the kind of partners you have, you know, both professional and personal. So in my case, you know, I have a wife uh, who uh, is in the same industry. Uh, so obviously, you know, when we can go back and talk, you know, when we can engage in the dialogue, we can find out what's going wrong. You know, all these kind of things really help me. So what we're going to do now is we're going to move on to your shiny new object. So this is the thing, which is a, a new technology, a new belief, a new behavior, something about the future of marketing that you think is fascinating. So I'd be really pleased now if you could just tell the audience what your current shiny new object is, Sean. Yes. So, you know, all this while I was stressing on one point and that's about being authentic. And I think the time has come for the organizations to be authentic. You know, it's just not about selling products mindlessly. So the shiny new object, the topic which I have is about sustainability and social responsibility in brand building strategies. So that's the topic I'm going to cover. I hope, you know, I'm able to bring some points which are interesting. So... That makes sense to me. So can you just talk through exactly what that is for someone who's listening to this podcast who has very little exposure to that? Sure, sure. I'll try to do that. Uh, so essentially, you know, um, sustainability as a word uh, can't be at the periphery of an organization anymore. You know, uh, earlier days, uh, you know, maybe 15 years back or 10 years back, and even now, you know, um, a lot of companies, they have a CSR department, you know, corporate social responsibility department, which is a separate department altogether. 
you know, and rest of the organization sometimes they participate in the social activities once a year. But uh, rest of the time, we hardly know what the department is doing. They might be doing a lot of things, but maybe the employees, they don't have a visibility, you know, from marketing or finance, because everybody is managing their own business. The topic where I'm coming to is that, you know, sustainability and social responsibility can't be at the periphery or can't just be a separate department within an organization. It has to be a core purpose and positioning for brand building. You know, it has to kind of run in the DNA of the organization. So it's not about being just a separate department. It's basically about being in the veins of the organization. And I'm going to talk about that. So how does a business go about putting sustainability and social responsibility at the center of its business? Because I think that it would be very difficult to find someone in a business who said that those two things weren't important. But in my experience, having a business know that something is important doesn't mean that it's easy to incorporate it as a, a central belief or way of working like you suggested is. So how, how do you think businesses should set themselves up to be sustainability and social responsibility first? Yeah, so before coming to that, you know, I'd just like to say that, you know, sometimes I really feel that uh, we should give our nature, you know, mother nature some time to take rest and heal. You know, that's, that's kind of a, a, a thought process we all should have in our heads and the larger corporations. You know, uh, what we've done in the name of capitalism and corporatism over the years, you know, have been nothing but little mindless, you know, and little insensitive, you know, um, and I think there couldn't have been a better time to record this podcast, you know, with Greta Thunberg's How Dare You, you know, spreading like a wildfire in the social media. You know, so I personally believe that brands can help make the world better, faster, by rooting their sustainability efforts deeply in their purpose, positioning, and action plans. And we'll talk about that, how we can do it. But before that, I think, you know, we need to understand how the world is changing today. And if you look at the millennials and the centennials, and if you really look at the motivations, actively seeking, you know, we have been doing a lot of research, we have been doing a lot of marketing talks, you know, what we find out, they actively are seeking for a true purpose from a brand and the kind of products they are buying. You know, uh, it's, it's not about those uh, short-term instant gratifications always are not about just looking cool as a brand, you know. They are deeply looking for some purpose. And if I'm buying this brand, what is this brand giving back, you know, to me? Or if not to me only, to the society at large. You know, and uh, what we feel, you know, through our researches and learnings, you know, this particular thing of sustainability and social responsibility is going to be a part of their self-image and inner expression. You know, by that I mean that, you know, they, the kind of brands and products we use, we want to feel something using those products, right? It's just not about feeling beautiful or it's just not about feeling confident, you know, which happened in the last decade. They want to feel that they are doing something for the society. And this will grow over the in the future. And that's why it's very important, you know, for the brands to realize this space 
and you know work in this space you know so otherwise the brands which will not do that you know according to me maybe they will be outliers in the near future you know so um so you know um, it's it's a difficult task it's about changing the mindset of the organization it's about uh, uh, changing the way you think uh, you have to look at your vision mission all those statements uh, there is a lot of alignment definitely at a you know uh, organization level but somewhere down the line organizations need to think in that way and today uh, you know i would like to give some examples of brands uh, across the globe uh, who have been uh, really successful in implementing this in the dna uh, of their uh, branding or branding strategies hello hi tom can you hear me i can yes i had myself on mute which is uh, <laughs> not ideal for a podcast. Apologies. Yeah, so I'm, I, I was just saying, yeah, tell me who's doing this brilliantly. Who, who do you think is leading the way? Yes, so, uh, yeah, I took some time to come to the point, but yeah, let me come to the examples. I think I'll try to give some four or five examples. Oh, amazing. Um, I would try to show you that sustainability is just not about philanthropy. Uh, it can also about really become about marketing ROI, you know, so uh, let me just give some example. The first one, uh, which I'd like to talk about is um, a brand called Patagonia. Uh, the spelling is P-A-T-A-G-O-N-I-A. Uh, you know, uh, I'm personally very inspired by this brand uh, in the US and they are trying to, you know, go to other countries now. Um, now, Patagonia as a brand um, has a program called uh, the Common Threads Initiative. Now, I'd just like to explain what's that. You know, so this company, uh, they are rooted in the whole philosophy of recycling and reusing. Now, how do they do that? You know, their simple philosophy is a two-way model. Uh, they take all the old clothings from people and they really make uh, durable, very durable outdoor clothing. You know, uh, outdoor clothing means, uh, you know, when you go for hiking, when you go for, uh, you know, other outdoor sports, you know, they make those kind of uh, clothes uh, out of the uh, used clothes. Um, in that whole effort, they try to form a community which is a common threads initiative. The people who are participating in this, they take a pledge. You know that I'm taking a pledge by joining this initiative and by you know, contributing my clothes to your company and then buying back that I'm going to give back to the environment. You know, so it's, it's a kind of a pledge. You know, if, even if you see the logo, it's a, about three hands joining together. You know, so they have, made this a part of their DNA and their brand expression. And uh, if you go to the YouTube and if you search Patagonia ads, you know, you will know, you know, where they have extended. Now they are, um, you know, owning a lot of uh, lands uh, in the US, uh, you know, for uh, the cause of deforestation. You know, they are really extending their brand to other areas. You know, this is how they started. And, you know, uh, and this is a brand to look for in the future. Uh, 
Uh, so I, I hope I'm clear with that example. Yeah, that's, uh, I think it's a, an excellent example and one that some of the listeners of this podcast will be familiar with. So what I would like yeah. to know, is there is there an example of a brand who isn't in the space where the benefits of sustainability is almost directly related to the product. And what I mean by that is Patagonia is fundamentally an outdoor brand. The kind of clothes that you, if you're walking, hiking, doing something outdoor, then this will protect you from the elements. So it's, it's fair to say that the consumers of that brand want to preserve nature because they are, they spend time in nature. So there's a, there's a correlation, a very obvious and easy correlation between the brand's product and the brand's sustainability promise it's it, it's kind of necessary one mm-hmm. for the other one exists so do you have an example of a brand where there isn't such a necessary link between the, the product and its purpose yeah so you know the example which comes to my mind is another u.s brand called tom's have you heard about it Yes, but for people who are listening that aren't familiar with Tom's, you want to just give an Yeah, so Tom's is basically a shoe company. They uh, make shoes and, uh, you know, uh, it's just about that. When you hear, it's it's basically a company which uh, uh, manufactures shoes and which sells shoes. But then, you know, um, they have really built a business model so well that they are now being considered almost as a charitable company. But mind it, they're just a shoe company selling shoes. So how are they doing that? You know, so they have a program, uh, you know, and that program obviously runs uh, through the DNA of the company, which is called One for One. Now, what is it? You know, here, you know, for every pair of shoe uh, they sell, uh, one shoe is gifted to a needy child. Uh, across uh, different developing and underprivileged nations. You know, so you buy one shoe and you know that there is another shoe, you know, somewhere getting gifted to somebody who doesn't have shoes to wear. You know, so it's about basically uh, the brand's promise, again, to make the world a better place to live. Also, you know, when you're buying such kind of a brand, uh, you know, beyond instant gratification of uh, quality, price or the you know the brand uh, value uh, you know other values you know the value which you pick up is that hey man i'm just buying a simple shoe and that's kind of getting back and doing some good things you know for other people who can't afford it it's like a good karma you know uh, when you buy this uh, product and uh, you know they've been so successful they have now uh, increased this particular initiative or particular you know game plan to other products you know it can be spectacles for elders you know so whatever you're buying you know somewhere in the world somebody is linked with that purchase so, so how uh, how do you think really this works with how do you think this works with uh, how, also, how could this work for a, a company that hasn't done something like this in the past? So uh, the examples you've given Tom's Shoes, Tom's Shoes were set up, their business model was to do the one-for-one thing. And that was, as much as you're buying a pair of shoes, you're also buying that charitable element. Like it's, it wasn't like they made trainers first and then they decided to do it. It was part of their inception. 
um, and to a greater or lesser degree, Patagonia. But could, do you know of a, an example of a company that didn't do anything related to sustainability or social responsibility that has subsequently started to do it and been successful? So they retrospectively become a sus sustainable and social, socially responsible business. I'm curious yeah. to know who you think has done that well. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. So, you know, um, first of all, I think uh, I'd like to give an example of Alipay. So Alipay, you know, is a uh, part of the payment process of Alibaba. And Alipay is very famous in China, right? For payment purposes, it's just like uh, online payments. Uh, you know, so uh, it started, you know, uh, as that. Uh, um, and I think if you look at Asia, uh, you know, compared to the Western world, Asia is still a little bit more rudimentary, uh, less aware uh, about uh, sustainability, right? You know, people talk about it perhaps, but they don't take actions as compared to Europe or US, you know. So, um, so what this company did, you know, so um, um, they created a program later, uh, which is called the Ant Forest Program much later, you know, and uh, they wanted to create something which makes the people who use Alipay uh, not only uh, certain values like, yeah, it's very efficient and efficient way of payments, you know, so there are attributes around the brand, but they wanted to build something which is deeper, more meaningful, more purposeful, you know, uh, and the companies like that, they do research about consumers and they try to find out, you know, uh, about the trends in the future and they want to integrate that. So what did they do? They created a game, you know, this is basically the Ant Forest program is a game. And, uh, you know, in this game, you know, whenever you're buying things from Alipay, uh, essentially, you know, you're not going to the shop, you're not uh, wasting papers. So obviously you're helping uh, in the carbon footprints, you know, less in the society. So they create a game where you can plant trees, virtual trees, you know, whenever you buy something and, uh, you know, you get some points uh, from there and, uh, you know, when you get those points, those points are used to plant trees somewhere, you know, in some part of the world or within China, you know, so, you know, so you are actually playing a game and uh, then you're basically earning some points and you know those points are getting used somewhere in the world for planting trees. And you can actually see, uh, you know, later through links uh, where exactly your virtual tree is getting translated to a real tree which part of the world where is getting planted you know so there is a there is a you know gratification huge gratification uh, so obviously you know they have made it very playful they made it like a game but at the same time you know out of this playfulness you know some meaning is getting attached to the brand which is around sustainability so i thought maybe you know this example would be a good one for you uh, what are you looking for so what do you think? How does the game actually work? Or tell me what the user experience is. So it's about just, uh, you know, um, uh, you have to uh, kind of plant virtual trees. It's, uh, it definitely follows, you know, levels of game. Uh, so you, you definitely have to, you know, maybe subscribe to Alipay and then get into a forest program and play that game, you know, to know how it works. But obviously, you know, if you get onto online, 
or YouTube, you know, you will exactly know, you know, how it's done, you know, um, it's explained there. So, you know, yeah, so it's, it's a very fun game, you know, so for the consumers. And uh, they know that they're playing the game uh, with a purpose. And they know that, you know, whenever they're buying uh, from Alipay, uh, they are contributing uh, to the environment. And as much as this is interesting, are you, do you believe it's authentic? uh see i think uh it's whether it's authentic or not uh that uh, you have to leave it to time uh but uh you know uh you know how the brand is evolving how the brand is making this work uh to its advantage uh but to what extent i've seen uh they exactly know uh they can actually locate you know, where all the trees are getting planted, in which part of the desert, you know, uh, wherever deforestation has happened, you know, if you have that intent, they're making it as transparent as possible. You know, so at this point, I feel that they're working towards authenticity. Uh, they're trying to make it very transparent uh, to the people who are participating in this kind of games. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because you're essentially, yeah, or they are essentially creating a a digital experience that I think uh, what they call it in the UK is clicktivism or you know, people thinking or actually making a difference in society by clicking, you know, so you buy a pair of shoes on through Alipay or whatever, and then it lets you plant some trees and, and really what Alibaba have done is create the microsite of sorts to make you feel better about yourself. Because in reality, what they could have done is just committed a percentage of their profits to to planting trees, and then and then they wouldn't have had to build a website. They wouldn't have to pay server costs, which you know take money and energy and you know cooling and power. Um, so it, it I I am quite cynical because I feel that they they could have just done the right thing, but what they've also done is created a game that makes the consumer feel like they're doing a thing whereas in reality what the consumer is doing is paying with their clicks to improve Alibaba's or Alipay's social image at least in their mind whereas the whereas the examples you gave before of, of Tom's and Patagonia it feels more authentic feels real that it it's an it's actually part of their business for those things to succeed so a True. Apologies for my skepticism, but no, um, I'm curious to know what I you think. think. No, not at all. I think it's a discussion and uh, uh, it's not about uh, being right or wrong. It's about basically, uh, you know, uh, um, a healthy discussion which brings about the topic of sustainability and social responsibility and brand building strategies, right? So I think, um, you know, uh, I feel that uh, at least this is a good beginning. Okay, so, uh, you know, uh, this is a good beginning. Uh, this is also a good way of engaging the consumers uh, who might not be thinking about these aspects very consciously. I think it's about uh, at least engaging them. Maybe there is a, a larger, uh, you know, uh, business purpose behind it as you spoke, but it's also about creating awareness. Uh, so, um, you know, uh, we, we should be um, at least uh, be uh, keeping our eyes open uh, to what's happening. We are logical human beings and I think, uh, uh, you know, we should really see through 
but at least these are the kind of themes which should be brought forward, talked about. You know, then only we can see what's happening. I think that's a that's a great point. I think the the first step of, uh, of this social responsibility and sustainability journey is for the big companies with great influence and power to get that conversation going. But it really is a first step. I think it's uh, it's one thing to talk, it's another thing to take action. But I can feel myself getting dragged into a debate which we don't have time for. Sean, thank you so much for finding the time uh, on a couple of occasions to try and get this podcast done. Uh, you were very patient in trying to get this sorted out. And I really appreciate that. Uh, you've given me a lot to think about in terms of putting yourself in the shoes of customers and bringing empathy to research and understanding consumers before you design for them. But also thank you for sharing your passionate views about sustainability and social responsibility and how brands and how marketers can play a part in that. So if you want to go and see Sean speak, that is at the Future Conference, as I mentioned at the start. So that's F-U-T-R dot today. That will take you straight there to the Singapore event, uh, 16th and 17th of October. Sean, if anyone wanted to reach out to you and to discuss in more detail the topics we've covered today, how would you like them to do that? They can perhaps reach out to me in my personal email ID. Uh, okay, uh, cool. Uh, do I share it with you here or maybe you can share later? Okay. Yes, let's do that. All right. Yeah. Look, thank you so much. I really enjoyed that. Uh, what a great start of the week for me. Thanks so much, Sean. Thank you so much, Tom. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time out and everything for this podcast. And I hope, uh, you know, I've been able to contribute uh, to your purpose and, uh, you know, the way you want to take it forward. So, yeah, thank you, thank you so you. much. Yeah, Cheers. Have a nice okay. uh, week ahead. And you take care.